Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. My name is Matthew. And we like to talk about movies we watched when we were growing up together. And this week, we wanted to feature a couple movies to celebrate a fun American holiday, Father's Day. <laughs> Father's Day is... Is, is, it, is it more of a Hallmark holiday? Yeah. I mean... But, you know... It's not just an excuse. I mean, I'm a father. I mean, I like yeah. it. I mean, I don't mind getting appreciated yeah. one day. But like Mother's Day and every day of the world, you know, of, of the year, we hopefully are all being appreciated. Yeah. But these but, two uh, movies in particular, I think, really focus on dads. They do focus on dads a lot. The main characters are, are dads in these two movies and... Unlike the Mother's Day episode, um, we did not pick these two movies specifically for our dad. I think that our dad likes a lot of movies, and he like has a lot of very particular things about different genres he'll like. And some of the movies that we've already talked about are movies that he really likes, too. So yeah. um, um, Nancy had this great idea, I think, to do this Father's Day episode, so I, I'm considering it a personal present to myself. Thanks yes, for the homework, Nancy. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're, these mo- there's two movies. They're both very different. Um, I will be talking about Ron Howard's Parenthood later in the episode, but Matt's going to start us off with a discussion of the Royal Tenenbaums, and you guys will learn these movies are very, very different, different in styles, different in tone, but they're both really fun movies. Yeah, I think that one of the things that makes them both similar is they have very comedic, funny elements, Yes, but they also have very serious elements. Yes. And they both talk about kind of the complexity of being a parent mm-hmm. in from different angles, you know, but they both have um, families with multiple children. They show different generations. So I think it's a good matchup to talk about these two movies. Thank you. Um, good job. <laughs> good job. You, you, you've contributed well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nancy always contributes well. I'm just... Thank you. Giving her a hard time as her big little brother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so get us started, Matt. Just, rem- just, re- just remember... You didn't have a sister, and that's Dad's fault. Okay, I'll, it's it's okay. Dad's fault that it's Dad's fault that I'm Matt, a boy. Everything worked out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> I was meant to have a younger brother. I don't think I would have seen Star Wars at a young age had I not had a brother. So well, then it's all the universe out. is right. The that's universe right. got it right. That's right. <laughs> and the galaxy far, far away got it right. <laughs> all right, so let's dig into wor- this Wes Anderson movie. Okay, so the Royal Tenenbaums is the third Wes Anderson movie. His first, the movies preceding them are Bottle Rocket, and then uh, Rushmore. Now, I actually got tuned into Wes Anderson because of Rushmore. That I love that movie. It is such a great movie. Um, yep. And I love his style. I like the fact that um, he. V- uses music as a character mm-hmm. in the film to really kind of enhance the um the story and it's not just a background kind of thing it actually ends up being almost like a narrator mm-hmm. in certain scenes and 
he has just this very interesting way of telling a story to break up the timing and the pacing and everything. And it just, and, and, you know, he's gone on and had a very interesting career doing things with animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and, and he's just a lot of fun to watch. I think this movie, the Royal Tenenbaums came out in 2001 and, um, it, surrounds the Tenenbaum family and the patriarch of the family is named Royal Tenenbaum played by Gene Hackman. Now, um, apparently, um, when Wes Anderson and the famous Owen Wilson from Zoolander and tons of other movies, um, they both wrote this movie and when they were writing it, they actually had Gene Hackman in mind Mm. and um, apparently he really questioned whether to do the movie or not wow and he didn't realize because he kind of felt like as a father himself that he wasn't a great father like Mm. he wasn't always there for his kids I guess Mm. and (laughs) he talked to his kids and his family and were like do you really think I should do this movie and they're like do it (laughs) do this movie like he could nail it well, and, and um, maybe and I, be therapeutic for him too if he did exactly it. exactly and um you know and he's an artist i mean gene hackman he's done um he's he's great in a lot of movies um he's in a movie that um i got assigned to do in um a film class that i took in college called um the conversation mm-hmm. by francis that directed by francis for coppola and um, highly recommend that movie. Um, but it's very, you know, that's kind of, you know, we were, I was, we were introduced to him as Lex Luthor mm-hmm. in the Superman movies. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, he was the person that Wes and Owen had in mind when they were thinking of Royal Tenenbaum. So the fact that he went on to do this and give a really good performance. And this was one of the last movies that he did in his career yeah you know he didn't work very much longer after this not because he died he retired no 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 just because he got older and he retired and he just figured he was you know on he he was just moving on in his life and he just it was near the end of his career and he just saw it tailing off and he wanted to have fun and apparently he didn't have a lot of fun making this movie (laughs) yeah um Apparently him and Wes Anderson clashed a lot, Hmm. unfortunately. So, like, um, his co-stars, so the movie co-stars Angelica Houston as the matriarch in the Tenenbaum family, Ethelene, uh, Ben Stiller as his son, Chaz, Gwyneth Paltrow as his adopted daughter, Margot, which he (laughs) emphasizes whenever he introduces her, my adopted daughter, Margot. And Luke Wilson as Richie Tenenbaum, um, the tennis pro, mm-hmm. also known in the movie as the Bomber, mm. <laughs> and um, and then they have um, a nice supporting cast um, of um, Owen Wilson, who plays Eli Cash, the neighbor across the street, Bill Murray, who plays Raleigh Sinclair, Margot's husband. Mm-hmm. And Danny Glover, who plays Henry Sherman, the man who 
is the other man in Ethelene's life is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And um, back to Gene Hackman on set, apparently all the the rest of the cast had to spend time like defending Wes's ideas to Gene Hackman. Apparently Gene Hackman has a reputation of, um, I won't want to, not difficult like he was an asshole, but more just, he, he would question things that, that directors would do and, you know, get on actors. And I guess he was a difficult person in that sense Mm. to work with on set. And, uh, I guess even like Bill Murray on his days off because Bill Murray had worked with Wes Anderson on Rushmore. Mm -hmm. So they were they had known each other. And then they work again later in um, another movie, uh, The Life Aquatic. And other movies after that, too. And other movies after that. But um, Bill Murray, even on his days off, would go to the set to make sure Gene wasn't bullying Wes Anderson. (laughs) Mm. So and this wasn't like a method thing that Gene Hackman was doing. Apparently it's not, hmm. <laughs> but it, it. I think the nip and Nancy brings it up. You know the kind of you know attitude that Gene Hackman was giving the director is very similar to some of the kind of ways that Royal was a father. Yeah, you know he was kind of you know he he always he always favored Richie. And would take Richie out on, you know, as a kid, he would take him out like on um, on on errands and like or like to the track and like do all these fun things with Richie. Margot was just his adopted daughter that he and, you know, she ends up being very kind of introverted from that. And Chaz was is his character is very. Um, His character is basically like a little Alex P. Keaton, but even more aggressive. Yes. Yeah, he's he's a he's he's business centric. When he was twelve, he started his own business, um, cre- selling Dalmatian mice that he had created. <laughs> and um, he just and then by like I guess by like sixteen or seventeen, he was delving in real estate. Yeah. And here's the thing: is all three of these kids are geniuses in their own part. Chaz is a business genius. Richie is a tennis star and Margot is a playwright Mm -hmm. and she and from a very young age, she had started writing plays that were getting um, notoriety, you know, outside of their home theater that they kind of made. And a lot of this is because Ethelene raises them, you know, and really puts a focus on their education. And Royal is just kind of not present, you know. So you kind of learn all of this in about the first 20 minutes of the movie during this very long, very interesting and well done prologue. Well, before you get too far into that, we also need to establish Royal wants to reenter their lives for two reasons. One, well, I let think me, I'm getting, okay. let me get to that. Let okay. me get to that. So, um, and, and another main character in this, although you never see him, is Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah, he's a narrator. Who narrates so who narrates the whole movie and does a great job narrating it. Um his narration is made for Wes Anderson because he's got such like a deep voice. Like just every his delivery is perfect. He's Wes Anderson couldn't found a better person to do this. Right. So 
the movie, after giving you this nice prologue of the early life and the kind of in all the characters, you find out that Royal has pretty much hit rock bottom mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's been kicked and he is separated from Ethelene for many, many years and but never gave her a divorce. <clears throat> so he'd always have some sort of tie to the family. Mm-hmm. And all the kids have pretty much. Um, they have no relationship. Cast with him. The, they have no relationship with him. He's never even met his grandkids, Ben's um, mm-hmm. Chaz's kids. And um, Royal just kind of has this very self-centered, egocentric kind of way of just being you know, living his life to where you don't you wonder, like, why did he even have kids? <laughs> you know, he just it, it, I don't know. And you never really see any kind of closeness between even in like the prologue you never even see any kind of closeness that royal and ethylene have yeah and um so he's hit rock bottom he's broke he has and he's getting kicked out of his the hotel he's stayed at for 22 years and he needs some place to stay so his way of finding a place to stay is to try and reconnect with his family or manipulate. I was going to use the word well, manipulate. <laughs> well, yeah, he's been, he's, he has to reconnect with them to find, to find some, cause you know, he figures who, who would, who would cast me out? I mean, they're my family. They're my kids, yeah. you know, why would they do anything? So he tries to reconnect with them and within he figures out that the only way to reconnect with them is to live close to them and move back into Ethelene's house. And the only way he figures he can do that is to fake having stomach cancer. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not really painting a very good picture of him right now. And you really don't have a great picture of him throughout most of the movie. But without going into every little scene and everything in the movie, a lot of the movie is centered around the whole family. So you learn about Margot and her past. You learn about Chaz and his past. And you learn about Richie and his past and the romances that they've had and the loss that they've had and the struggles that they've gone through. So, And ultimately, they all, all three kids kind of go through life-changing events that bring all three of them back to the house they grew up in. Then Royal moves back into the house because he's, you know, played, he's manipulated his way into their saying he has cancer mm-hmm. to get into their hearts. And that's the only, you know, come on, guys, he's dying. Let's let's give him a chance. Throughout the movie, eventually you see him kind of change, you know, near the end. Mm-hmm. Everyone and, changes. And everyone kind of grows and changes a little bit. Um, specifically, you know, Chaz finally has a very, he, he's grown like this very tough kind of protective persona with him and his kids because his wife died in a plane crash Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like his wife was on a trip. The whole family, him, his wife, his two kids and their dog Buckley were all in the same plane and everyone survived except for her. 
So he was very... Um, he had a lot of trauma still that he was dealing he with. He had trauma. And so, you know, you're kind of watching him go through his trauma. Margot going through her her marriage that she doesn't really want to be in. She's cheating on her husband and, and all of that. And Richie, who had, you know, was at like the height of his career, his tennis career, and then had a meltdown because the love of his life that we then later find out is Margot, his adopted, adopted or his, <laughs> what is, what is that called when, they're si- they're when, siblings, but they're siblings. But they're you don't not call them blood they're, related. So they're just not blood related. They don't. There's not a special. There's not like half or step or anything no. like that. For no, I mean adopted. they grew up together, so you could just right. say that would be very weird. They're siblings. They're, they're siblings. siblings. They just don't have they're any siblings. blood relation. You know, and it all kind of climaxes at the end with Royal kind of having an epiphany. Danny Glover's character. Um, Henry marrying Ethelene and them having these all kind of life affirming yeah. situations that and Royal kind of finally, you know, after I think they say he's like 65 or 66 in the movie. Um, he finally has a a good connection with his kids by the end of the movie. So, yeah, he's, you know. he's mended some. He's he's mended some very very broken yeah some very very tough wounds but and and describing it like that makes it seem like a pretty downer movie well but there is some funny shit that happens in this movie so let me jump in and tell you that I had only seen this movie once before and it was a long time ago you introduced me to Wes Anderson with Rushmore and I love Rushmore so much and when I watched this movie initially. I wasn't super into it, and I think a lot of it was because, you know, I was probably, like, early, mid-20s when I watched it, and watching Gene Hackman just be such an asshole dad, I just couldn't get into it. Like, he's just well, so... Well, you love him as Lex... You love him as Lex Luthor, Yeah, he's right? great as Lex Luthor, but um, I I was so frustrated with how, how mean he was, and... But... So I've had a lot of time. I've had almost 20 years since I've seen it. And I loved it this time. And I think maybe I was able to sink into the soundtrack more, really kind of listen to Alec Baldwin just tell the story. And all of the things that Gene Hackman did that I found just, like, so cruel. Yes, still not great. Still fairly cruel. But I put it into a better perspective now. And um, I think I was able to enjoy it a lot more now than I did back then just because I felt like um, all of the all of the extreme things in this movie in terms of how each of the characters are just so bizarre you know like you know Richie with the the fact that all three of them have this kind of like genius talent that they all express in different ways it's just so unusual it's just not realistic I mean when we talk about parenthood that movie's very realistic in a lot of ways. Like, those families, like, you can picture all those people out in real life. Mm-hmm. This movie is the very opposite. This is kind of like a fantasy in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I, I very much felt for, like, Ben Stiller's character, you know, just trying to oh, imagine yeah. what yeah. a young dad losing his his wife and having to raise his two boys as best as he 
can and try to instill in them you need to be smart, you need to be safe, you need to be really strong, yet how do you balance that and still, like, have a normal life? (laughs) Um, And I think that's... His whole life was kind of robotic, too. You know, he had a... He was very, like, like logistical, you know, because of his business background. And then I think after the tragedy of losing his wife... He just he just turned it on and just focused that into a whole different direction, but using the same mental state, the same mentality, to, or the same mentality. Yeah, I mean, like he would do surprise really safety drills it. in the middle of the night with the kids to make sure they can quickly get out of the house. I mean, yeah, it, took it took us took us four minutes to get out. We're all dead. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> we mean, forgot Buckley. Doesn't matter. He's dead too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's you know, it's just tough and. Margot's character is so bizarre, but she's just so just dark and she's so emo and just she deeply has, depressed. Okay. Let's talk. Let's let's do a brief. OK, so so Chaz is super serious all the time. Yeah. Richie is kind of like the. You know, it's all going to be good. We love I love all of you guys. You know, let's do the best we can. He just is, you know, trying to be more he's the fun peacemaker. loving. And he's the peacemaker. He's, he's, the, and, he's the kid yeah. who's most willing to give Royal a chance. And yeah. you forgot to mention that um, Richie still lived in the house. He still lived in the family home. He, yeah, well, he didn't need to he, be he brought would, he, back. He was still living in the top right, floor. He, yeah, he still lived there, but he had been on, ever since his breakdown, he had been living on a boat traveling the world for like four years. Oh, okay. <sighs> okay. Yeah, so he wasn't, he wasn't really there. Oh, okay. I, but, I didn't um, put that together. But Margot, uh, so you know, sorry. adopted daughter Margot, <laughs> like, they do such a great job with her to where, like... When Gwyneth Paltrow's playing her, she's very just kind of quiet and just kind of like, hey, how's it going? Well, not, not saying a whole lot. but And she's got like this dark eyeliner on. Her like, thick the, eyeliner. The her thick eyeliner but can compete even, with um, Breakfast Club. Ali, Ali Sheedy's Sheedy. eyeliner. Ali, from the Ali Sheedy is a good mirror. Like yeah, if you want a baseline, she's kind of baseline. But even when they show young Margot at like nine years old, she even has yep. the eyeliner on. Yep. I mean, it's so like, and there's, there's something that they did that. And this is one of those quirky things that Wes Anderson did was everyone that throughout the movie for the most part wears the same outfit. Yeah. It might not be the same color every time, but it's the exact same outfit. Chaz is always in like an, a red Adidas tracksuit, mm. and so are his kids. Mm. Um, Luke Wilson is constantly wearing like the tennis headband, yeah. <laughs> you know, the sweatband. Mm-hmm. And Margot always has like that same like A line dress, like tight dress that um, with the same hair and everything. And the fur coat. And the fur coat and the funny and, and one of the great things about Margot is when, you know, she's such she's a rebel and she runs away all the time. And at one point she runs away to find her actual family and she finds them. And there's some and they're like farmers that in like Ohio or Indiana or something like that. And she goes to meet them and she's like smoking her cigarette and being all kind of emo. And she goes to hold a piece of wood and her dad chops off her finger. Her, or I mean, her yeah, her she missed, biological yep. dad chops off her finger. So throughout the whole movie, she has this like wooden finger. Mm-hmm. 
it's so great. And, and uh, yeah. And then we have the very interesting Eli Cash, <laughs> who lives across the street. Who, who wanted to be a Tannenbaum. Who, who basically just always wanted to be a Tannenbaum. Yeah. So, um, and he ends up being the person who Margo's having an affair with. And she doesn't even really like him. Yeah. You know, she just, he's just there. He's a writer like she is. And, um, but he's, and he's gained success, but he's not very good. He's just gained some notoriety, but he doesn't put out very good work. But he's that, he's, he's very Eddie Haskell. You know, with the way yeah, that he's trying yeah. to worm his way into that family. Into their family. The way, like, yeah. he would send the um, Angelica Houston, like, his grades and clippings of his yeah. work. I mean, but can I tell you who my favorite character is? Can I guess? Let me see. Your favorite character is Angelica Houston. Nope. No? Okay. Who's your favorite character? Richie. Oh, He's yes. the heart Richie. of this movie. He has the, he has some of the saddest stuff go on in this movie. Yeah, he's got heartbreak and everything. He and he just he breaks my heart in this movie and ah, love it though. Yeah, I, we had talked about the music uh, briefly at the beginning of this yeah. movie and how Wes Anderson uses it as as a as kind of a character. And um, are you going to talk about Needle he, in the Hay? Well, there's that song, yeah. which is probably the most modern song yeah. in the whole movie, because most of the songs are from either the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, which, you know, Wes Anderson is very particular about the movies or the songs he picks for his movies. Mm-hmm. Apparently for like Rushmore, he originally wanted the entire soundtrack just to be the kinks. Mm um, the band, the kinks, but it just didn't work out that way. So it's got a more eclectic kind of everything from the who to cat Stevens, you know, it's and just very, John Lennon. It, yeah. And he does this very similar thing in this where he's got Nico and, um, the Ramones and just, it, it goes kind of all over the place, but it's about the same era. But yeah, the use of needle in the hay by Elliot Smith during probably one of the toughest scenes with involving Richie yep. is um, like it, it's almost as if that's like a music video for that song. <laughs> you know, it's such a it's it's so hard. And uh, and I think I've mentioned this before when we talked about Goodwill Hunting, like Elliot Smith is a great songwriter, but every time I hear his songs, I just get sad. Yeah. So um, because he has such a tragic life. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a sad or depressing scene, he could be a very good go-to artist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for anything. But yeah, that's a that yeah, I like Richie, you know. He's so he is good. really he is the glue in the family. I mean, he, you know, like Royal doesn't get in the house without Richie. Nope. You know, if if he if he can't and and Chaz the whole time is like, Richie, you're an idiot. He's manipulating us. He just wants something. And he's questioning Royal the entire time. Yeah. And Margot is just like, you didn't give a shit about me, so why should I give a shit about you? Yeah. 
You you rejected yeah. me when I was 11 and you didn't like my play, so I'm going to hate you for the rest of my life. Ooh. That scene is so good when he's just like, <laughs> he's like giving her, eh, I don't know, the characters and everything. I don't know. I just didn't buy it. And it's like she's 11 and she just wrote this play. And like it was the whole family put together this whole production and he's just yeah. like poo-pooing it. And it, they performed it on her birthday. Yep. And they, they didn't even get to the point. Like she's just like, I'm going to bed. And as she's walking away to go to bed, they're like bringing out the cake and they just don't even finish singing happy birthday to her. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite character in this movie to watch is probably Margot. Mm. I love watching Margot. Her bizarreness is one thing, but this might be my favorite or possibly my second favorite Gwyneth Paltrow role. Sure. I just really love her in this Mm. because it's very offbeat for her. Yeah. Like, I don't see her play. Like, most. She's normally playing something. Like, she's either in a rom com kind of movie or a little more. A little more upbeat. My. The. The only. The only other role that I like her in because I like the MC, the Marvel movies is I like her as Pepper Potts. And. Yeah. She's such a. She's such a minor character in those movies. But. But she um, plays off I really, Robert Downey Jr. so well in those movies. Well, but yeah, she's right. But I really, I really love her in in this movie um, as Margot and and the character of Margot too. Because even when she's a kid, you know, you I just <laughs> the look she has on her in her face and everything is just priceless. Yeah. So I think Margot's my favorite character, um, and and it's not that I'm not picking Royal as a character because. He's just an asshole in it. It's just he's that's kind of there's nothing really eccentric about him. You know, there's nothing other than he's just kind of a deadbeat dad. Yeah. You know, he's just not there's not I I like the weirdness by, you know, so I kind of think it's easy to gravitate towards the kids. And Chaz is just too kind of. There's a, he's there's intense. a role that he's, he's intense. You know, did you ever see the movie Mystery Men? No. With Ben Stiller? No. Where he it's like a superhero movie and um it's okay. I it's know Janine Garofalo's in it, I know Paul Rubens in it. Yeah, she plays yeah, yeah. Well, um Ben Stiller's like superpower in that movie is he can get, he gets really angry. Mm. And I think he t- played a similar role in like a when he had like a, a small storyline and friends playing like oh yeah yeah you're right someone's boy yeah. Courtney Cox's boyfriend or something like that where he would just get really angry yeah. I mean he's kind of got that intensity throughout this movie yeah he actually is the he actually is a really complex character oh yeah as far as you know what he's kind of gone through and and it's kind of, and I like seeing Ben Stiller in in other roles other than. Um, just a lot of the comedies mm-hmm. that he does. You know, it's nice seeing him not just be Zoolander. But um But Zoolander is also wonderful. Come on. But uh but uh I think it's just you gotta kinda pick some of the kids. And then Angelica Houston, she's great yeah. and it's funny, um my wife and I were talking about we're we were watching this and we we were both kinda like, Man, Angelica Houston Man, she's just she's such a great actress, and we gotta watch more Angelica Houston movies. And um, so I have a DVD of a movie that 
also stars John Cusack, where she plays his mom. Did you ever see The Grifters? The Grifters? I've never seen it. I recorded it. I wanted to watch it because I hadn't seen it before, and I had heard it's good, and it's got John, it's got John Cusack in it. Maybe someday I, I, we'll talk to I him just, about it. I just got it um, yesterday. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, and, but I'm excited mm, to watch it finally. And I Annette, I Annette Benning. on my DVR. Annette Benning's in it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of con and then, men. And, you know, um, I don't think we can not talk about um, Bill Murray. He's amazing. Who, his, who, who does not have a huge role in this. He's a cuckold, but he man. Is, yes. They make a, she made a cuckold of him. <laughs> and, um, and his character, Raleigh St. Clair, is, you know, it's not a huge role, but he does, he's so good in it. Yeah. And um, he's got this nice beard going yeah. in it. And, and I, yeah, you know, I saw this movie in the theater when it came mm. out. You know, I had seen Rushmore. I had like heard about Rushmore. I rented it. I watched it. I was amazed by it. Um, just really enjoyed everything from the music to yeah. to just the story. And Bill Murray is just so good in that movie that I was really excited to see this. You know, I was seeing this whole this all star cast and I was excited to see what Wes Anderson was going to do next. And I just think this is a great movie. So did you um, always think, really like it? Or did you have a similar experience like I did where I appreciate it more now than I did back then? I think the first time I watched it, I liked it, but I did. It was different. It was a different feeling watching it than what I had when I watched Rushmore. Yeah. Because Rushmore revolves more around a high school kid. Yeah. And I was still... When that came out, that was in 98. I was in yeah. my late teens, early 20s. And when so when this came out and seeing, like, this whole family picture and everything, I kind of, like, needed to see it again. Like, I, I was like, I like this movie, but I don't know what I like about it. I've probably seen this movie, like, 15 times. Oh. You know, okay. you know throughout the years. I have the, I have the DVD. It would be on. I'd watch it. You know, I just really enjoyed it it's one one of those things you know again you know when a movie is on like one of the cable networks it's on repeatedly mm-hmm. and you're just hey what are we gonna watch i don't know just put on roll a ton of bombs i almost right feel there. like this was a movie that probably circulated on comedy central a lot too like they had kind of I a weird remember. catalog of few movies i want to say it was on like usa probably or, it was on something yeah. and there was a couple scenes in it watching it this time that i, I I hadn't remembered as well, and I think it's because it could have been scenes that were cut for time. Probably. I have watched this movie, you know, off and on throughout the years, but it had been a while since I'd watched it. And, man, I just, I just really like this movie. It's, 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 I think that if you're comparing it to, like, Parenthood, Parenthood has a lot more funny moments. Yes. Whereas the, that are, like, ha-ha funny. Whereas... The moments in this movie are just more like, I can't believe that just happened kind of funny. Well, Wes Anderson's trademark is that he's incredibly quirky. And you, yes, you, either, you either have a you either like that or you don't like it. I believe it is just exactly. a you're either into Wes Anderson stuff or you're not. And I am. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. you are, too. So you, you don't need to explain it. You know, I mean, just just the fact yeah. that like. You know, like the Alec Baldwin kind of um, narration, the title cards that pop out 
every right. 10 minutes, you know, things like that. Yeah, chapter 8. And, and, and <laughs> just, the weird, just kind of the unique way that Wes Anderson frames things, um, just, just mm-hmm. the cinematography. I mean, just, he just has a very specific style that people well, will either glad- be interested in or not. Well, like, he takes a very, like, I had mentioned the costumes. Like, every mm-hmm. character kind of had almost like a uniform that they all wear. Mm-hmm. Another thing is this movie takes place in, you know, it was filmed in 2001. It takes place in modern-day New York City. Yeah. But they film it in such a way to where, like, they like there's a scene, I guess, where there was a skyscraper in the background of the scene that they could, you know, to frame it right. They couldn't just like cut, like move the camera to block the skyscraper. So they just had an actor stand in the frame Mm. to block the skyscraper. So you couldn't see it. So even though it's modern, it takes place in, they want to, he, he has a look that he's going for that makes it look like it takes place in another time. So, you know, as far as cinematography goes, I mean, and like the street they live on is a real street, but they give it a fictional name, you know, and he just has his particular way of making the story happen. And this was like the I guess this was the first movie that he hadn't filmed in Texas. So Hmm. you think that it was like set in Brooklyn, maybe it was filmed in Harlem Mm. is where it was filmed. Now, I don't know what the act... I mean, they're trying to make it say it's New York, so you have, yeah. like, this... And it definitely has, like, a New York flavor, but, mm-hmm. like... But, like, even... Like, one thing that we noticed and I noticed on the rewatch was... Um, it was always the Gypsy Cab Company that was that was that was the cabs mm-hmm. th- throughout the movie, and it always and it always seemed like it was the same cab, just like yeah. a slightly different color that they like throughout the production of the movie it would just dent differently to make it look like different yeah. cars. And I think that that's kind of a one of the interesting things about his Wes Anderson style is he almost kind of has like a theater production kind of style Mm -hmm. that he brings to his movies Mm -hmm. and, um, that gives it a very specific look. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, you're either someone that can really enjoy a Wes Anderson movie and like buy in to all the quirks and things he's doing or it's something that just kind of turns you off and there's no convincing someone who isn't interested in Wes Anderson to like a Wes Anderson movie like no no he's got such a specific style that I agree I mean I know people that are just like oh man I can't stand his movies yeah which is you know too bad (laughs) well I mean everyone has their own taste so I mean there's people who like certain movies that I won't bring up again to cause eye rolls. Oh, she did it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah. And I think, you know, as far as favorite scenes in this movie, um, you know, Margo's my favorite character. So one of my favorite scenes is the, um, when, you know, they're going through the Raleigh has hired a private investigator (laughs) to see who, um, Margot is cheating on him with, mm-hmm. and he's told Richie, I think she's cheating on me. And Richie is like, we got to find this guy because he secretly loves her. Right. And they go to the private investigator and the private investigator or hands Raleigh the file folder. And 
instead of like showing him like looking through it, they do this montage of all the relationships she's had over yeah. time. And that and it's all to during their marriage, right? No, 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 no. It's it her whole life. Oh, okay. It's her whole life because it's even stuff before because it, it even shows her as like a teenager. Mm, okay. And because I think it gives the age to yeah. like 19. Yeah. She gets married or blah, blah, blah. It's got the Ramones playing behind it. And it's like this really great montage. And then when it's all over, he closes the file folder and turn and says to the P.I. She smokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the mood of all of that. And, yeah. And everything is just so great. And I think that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. What's yeah. your favorite scene in the movie? Um, it's probably... The needle in the hay scene? Yeah, it's probably Re- Richie just reaching the brink and, you know, that very Hitting depressing scene. Yeah. But, I mean, he's just, like, he's just such raw emotion. And I, I just love it. He's yeah. so great. Um, and maybe, maybe some of the scenes with um, Chaz's kids and Royal. Um, Those are when Chaz's good. kids yeah. are starting to really warm up to their grandfather, whom they're just meeting, and kind of playing around with him and having fun with him. Um, because his dad, because their dad d- doesn't let them do that. Yeah, you know, their dad is too busy trying to keep them safe, He's protecting them. That he doesn't. Uh, let them really kind of be kids. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, you kind of, we kind of see a little bit also in parenthood, you know, yeah. that whole kind of dynamic of, yeah. will they be kids? You yeah. Know, letting so, kids be kids. So. so it's, it's fun seeing Royal be a grandpa and running around and like the, 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 the influence both ways, you know, the, right. his influence on his grandchildren and then his grandchildren kind of letting him kind of loosen up and be fun and not just be this, grouchy jerk. <laughs> yeah. he, but um, I'm so glad that we got to revisit this movie because like I said, I was never super interested in rewatching this movie only because it was like, I remembered thinking like there's so many grouchy things about this movie and Gene Hackman is just a nasty guy in it. But watching it almost 20 years later, I don't see it the same way. I mean, I still understand he's kind of jerky, but I'm enjoying the movie overall and the in a much bigger way than I did. And like I said, I'm was really hearing the soundtrack more now. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love, in fact, I downloaded, I don't know, like three or four different shared playlists of the Royal Tenenbaums music and been listening to them off and on for the last couple of weeks. Cause it's just so good. I also want to add, since you mentioned the music before we switch to the, our second movie, Mark Mothersbaugh, who, um, does this movie and I and um, Rushmore, and I he's probably done a couple other Wes Anderson movies. Um, does a really great job. Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, oh, and Devo. Okay. Yep. So, um, he's he has gone. You know, after you know, Devo had kind of wound down. He went into scoring movies, and he's done. You know, you can look him up, and he's done a a great job in a ton of movies and um, does a really good job with this one. So Cool. We're going to transition now to our next film. Nancy's going to talk about the movie Parenthood. Not the television show Parenthood that no. was kind of was loosely based on this. Loosely right? based on now they and they actually tried to make a Parenthood television show after this movie had come mm. out, but that did not last. So so Matt has experience watching the TV show. I never watched it. 
Um, so I couldn't begin to compare the two, but the the only thing I would say that makes them similar is the same kind of dynamic of you have grand you have like the grandparents and their kids, and then you see their kids. You know, and so like probably the, the same number of you've got the siblings. three generation. Um, it's four siblings and not three. In um, no, no, there is four. No, it's four yeah, and four. Four, yeah, okay. four and four. Yeah. Cool. So, Ron Howard directed this movie. Came out in 1989. This was like his sixth or seventh movie that he directed. So he was really had a lot of good direction practice under his belt by the time this came out. It's about the Buckmans, four generations of the Buckman family, and um, Steve Martin is the lead. He plays um, the oldest son, not the oldest of the four, because I believe Diane Weiss, her character named Helen, she's the oldest. And then you have Steve Martin, whose name is Gil, who's married to Mary Steenburgen. Her name is Karen. And then you have um, Harley Joan Co- um, Kozak. Her name is Susan. And then you have the fourth black sheep child, Larry, played by Tom Hulse. Huge cast of characters. Um, Jason Robarbs plays the patriarch, um, grouchy dad, whose character, if you can believe it, was supposed to only be 64 years old in this movie. I, seems I, like he's 85 to me. No okay, way he seems so, 64. So when we were when we were doing our rewatch. I was like, they say he's 64, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, 64? He looks like he's, like, 80. 80. And then we looked it up. When he filmed it, he was only 66. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. my God. So so let's, like, do the ages real quick, because I was uh, just and looking I, and this I, up. Just, 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 to, just to add, our dad looks way younger than Jason Robards oh, does yeah. in this movie, and he's oh, yeah. older than Jason Robards yeah. was in this it's, movie. So it it boggles our mind, like... 64? That guy looks so old. Both of our parents are like a lot younger great. than their age. Yeah. So I think Matt and I have always been a little challenged to kind of place, like, what are people's real ages? Because our parents have always looked very, very young. And I would like to argue Matt and I both also look fairly young for our ages. But, you know, you you <laughs> listeners haven't seen us. I think I look young for my age, but we'll go. You do. You Thank do. Thank you. Anyway. But, but, but I would also say that our. I'm four our, foot ten, so that makes it easier. To no. And, and you still look like you did when you were 18. I would also say that um, the fact that we watched a ton of movies in the 80s growing up played where teenagers were played by 30 year olds also our, distorted our, our, our whole perception sense of, of what, what people are supposed to look like is completely screwed up. Yeah. Um, but this movie is just. I love this movie so much. This is a movie Matt and I have probably seen together easily, maybe 10 times, 20 times. We watched this movie Not a lot. Not 20, but I, yeah, I've lot. watched, we watched it right around when it came out. I'm sure we watched it like on HBO or something, but we had it on tape. We watched it a lot. And this, you know, I haven't seen it in easily 10 or 15 years, but I remembered like as the scenes were coming up. Like, I remembered the pacing, like, oh, yeah, that's happening next. Like, that's that's big scenes going to happen next. So like, it's very, very familiar. Steve Martin as Gil, you know, he has three kids. He really is the heart of the movie. He's really the main character. Um, yeah. And he is kind of um, what I like to refer to as, like, the hub of the family. 
our dad is like the hub in our family. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, it feels very familiar. Kind of seeing him is kind of like this anchor. Like I don't think any of our relatives would, would disagree with that either. Correct. Our dad is one of six. He has five siblings. So he kind of occupies the same role that Steve Martin does. Anyways, irrelevant. But he's this incredible guy. You know, Gil... His whole life is about his family. He is all about being the best dad he can be. And he will say he learned how to be a good dad by trying not to be a lot like his own dad. He yeah, felt I would like say Jason Robarbs as his dad was fairly distant, pretty cruel, or just not very invested in like the day-to-day of his kids' lives. Well, well, and I would say that that is what one of the things that really kind of bridges these two movies. Um, while you don't like in Royal Tenenbaums, you see Royal being kind of crappy and kind of cr- mean to his kids throughout the whole movie. You only get like really one direct scene. It's the very opening of this movie where Gil is having a dream about his childhood and yes. he's at a baseball game. <sighs> And I, as a You're kid, an amalgam. yeah, <laughs> as a kid, Jason Robards character, Frank, his dad would take him to baseball games and pay the usher to watch him while he went and visited like his bookie and all of that. And, and he would do that on his birthday. Yep. <laughs> yep. So Frank was was not the greatest dad. So to Nancy's point, Gil tried to be the best dad he can be and do whatever he could to make his kids happy. Yeah. Because he grew up with a dad that he did not, he did not find being the model dad. Yeah. He, his, his dad was not present in a lot of different ways. His dad provided. I I don't think there was ever a question that his dad made sure that they had the roof over the head, food on the table, clothes on their backs, that kind of thing. But the emotional support, the just, just the influence, you know, just what a dad needs to do to help raise good, strong children. Um, he wasn't providing that. So that's he and Mary Steenburgen are like this power couple with their three children. The oldest, I think, is nine. Then they have like a six year old and they have like a three year old. Um, Then you have Diane Weiss, who plays Helen, um, Gil's older sister, who is divorced, has two two teenagers. Joaquin Phoenix, this very moody, quiet, secretive 13 year old and Meredith. Gary. uh, Gary and then Martha Plimpton playing Julie who's like 16 or 17 dating Keanu Reeves of all people um he's not called Keanu Reeves no, his name that is would be cool that would be really cool if she was dating his name, Keanu Reeves but his, no, his, name, his is name is Todd, Todd. his uh, name is that Todd that Todd <laughs> that Todd um, <laughs> So she's struggling. So we get this example of a perfect, you know, wonderful nuclear family still together. Then you've got this, you know, more unfortunately kind of divorced family. And then you've got um, the younger sister, Susan, who's married to Rick Moranis, who has decided I have he has read every single parenting book on the planet. And what are all of the um, psychiatrists and doctors and all the experts saying about how you can raise the smartest, most well-adjusted child and blah, 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 blah. Following 
every single rule to the letter, like incredible type A kind of person trying to rate, create a family that way. And then you have the younger brother, Larry, who isn't a dad. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, he is. Because the movie opens with them having a big family party. And Larry shows up for first time after three years. Three years. And, um, oh, yeah, brings his, like, six-year-old, seven-year-old son that no one knew he had as a surprise. And, like, oh, hi, yeah, I uh, had a thing with this one lady one time. And, oh, yep, I have a kid that just got dumped on me. And great. So... That's kind of the makeup of the Buckman family. And um, the movie just kind of goes through different things that they have. And instead of kind of like plot, you know, going through the plot of things that happen, I'm just going to kind of throw out some of the different scenes that I just think are excellent. Like early in the movie, you've got, you know, the dinner at Helen's that wraps up with, you know, a little power outage and uh, her her very helpful brother, Gil, runs to the bedroom to grab a flashlight and turns out to be a vibrator. Um, Or or what Mary Steenberg tells her daughter. Yes, uh, an ear cleaner, a very big ear cleaner. Um, Yes, it was. (laughs) You know, I mean, I cannot even like fathom the absolute embarrassment that <laughs> Helen must have felt but here you know she's with her family what are you I gonna do that, I think I've seen trailers where that scene is in it oh my god it is so <laughs> funny I mean and you know Steve Martin I mean just him like where's the button I don't see the button on here hmm you know it's so great where was he looking for that like in her I mean and where was in she putting it pro- to where it was, it was like where, in her nights her nightstand he said, she said, flashlights <clears throat> in her nightstand, like right by her bed. I don't know. But and why would he try it, like, when he's in her bedroom and then be the, like. <laughs> because his kid was panicking. Remember, his oh kid God. was panicking as the power. Either way, very, very silly, but great, great laughs. Oh, my gosh. Another scene I love is soon after that, when, um. Julie goes to the photo mat to go pick up her envelope of photos. <laughs> and it turns out that both she and her mom had turned in a roll of film. Oh, for all you folks that don't know, there used to be like, you know, cameras that had actual canisters of film. You'd have to like take those canisters to like a Walgreens or, you know, a little photo mat or whatever. And then it takes a there few was days. Actually, there was actually, there was actually drive through photo huts. Exactly. That you could go and get, and get, yeah. the, a lot of those have turned into drive through coffee stands. Yes, a lot of them are. <laughs> well, yeah, poor Julie um, and her mom were both coincidentally turning in film. And, um, yeah, um, Helen Buckman p- picked up um, sex pictures that, <laughs> that Julie and that Todd were taking um, in her bedroom, you know, so. Is that... Th- that's that Todd, isn't it? Were th- is this your bedroom? Were you taking photos like this? In you were doing these things in my house. <gasps> this one's for my wallet. I'm gonna use this. One, put this one in my wallet. I think this one's my favorite. Oh my god! <laughs> so love that scene. That scene just oh, again the embarrassment. Like I just I can't even imagine. Um, and sticking with Helen and her family because they're just a treasure trove of embarrassing moments. When um, Helen has just like kind of gotten to the edge of sanity with her with Gary because he just will not open up for anything. 
and um, he had asked to, can he live with his dad, gets totally rejected, and then goes and vandalizes his dad's dentist office or whatever. So, you know, Helen storms in and decides to break into his room and finds out that this random paper shopping bag that he's been carrying around, oh, it's got porn in it. Okay, that's what his big secret is. And luckily, even though Helen is conflicted with Julie dating that Todd, it turns out that that Todd is able to help Gary understand that, you know, what he's doing as a 13-year-old is completely normal. And, you know, we get probably one of the greatest scenes that Keanu Reeves has ever had in his life where he and Helen are discussing what it takes to be a dad and how, you know, you need a license to drive a car and catch a fish, but any asshole can be a dad. Um, yeah. Just so, so good. It's like, oh, love you. Hey, anyways. chicken's burning. Oh, damn. That looks good. That's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, kind of. Well, since, since, since you were talking about um, Helen mm-hmm. and Diane Weist, I just want to reiterate something that we had mentioned in our Lost Boys episode, how there's something about Diane Weist that kind of reminds us of Mom. And it's interesting that not that she's in the exact situation that, you know, Mom is in, but it's interesting that she is raising the two kids that have an older daughter and a younger son that are like The age difference is the same. And the age difference is similar to us. Yeah. Luckily, we didn't have an asshole dentist dad. We had a very awesome dad. Yeah, and our parents so, were together. And, and, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think um, either of us suffered any kind of embarrassing moments quite like this with our parents. Well, I don't know if you would have told me if um, mom accidentally picked up your sex pictures. Oh, my God. (laughs) And luckily, I did not have it. um, I I was not exploring my sexuality by getting a bunch of porn um, VHS. But I did. I mean, we did have VCRs in our room. So (laughs) So and if mom and if mom, mom, if you're listening to this and you did discover something that Nancy or I had that you disapproved of. I'm, you handled it with style and class. <laughs> Nancy's looking at me like, don't bring it up. Just, oh, my just. God. Okay, let's talk about a different family member. Let's move over to Susan, okay? Because, you know, most of Susan and Nathan's, like, dramas are this battle over, you know, she appreciates that her husband is, you know, very driven and very focused and wants their daughter to be, you know, this genius but she also just wants another kid. And she sees that her daughter is becoming this total weirdo robot. And she thinks she and her husband are finally, like, at a breaking point. Like, they're finally having some problems. And she act, she has to literally put together flashcards as though oh, yeah. they were going to be for their daughter, where she has to spell out on flashcards... Nathan, this is the only way I can get your attention. You never listen to me. I'm leaving you. And she leaves. And soon after, we get one of the greatest scenes, him finally realizing he's got to loosen up. So he goes to her science class and I think it's a science class. And um, sings um, Carpenter's Close to You, which is just so sweet. Love, 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 love that scene. Yeah. 
That's a that's a pretty good scene. Yeah. What about um and you know, I think that you know if we're gonna move on to Steve Martin. Yes. And, you know his. I don't need to say a whole lot about Larry, other than Larry and Jason Larry's, Robards. Larry's a jackass. Have a very. <laughs> Larry just. Mm, he's a challenge. You know, He's a challenge. He's not someone who gave a shit about his family at all. And that's what the whole crux of this movie is. It's like to be, you know, to be a full person, you do need to acknowledge and care about your family. And Larry couldn't give a shit. And he shit on his parents. He shit on his his siblings. He didn't even want to be there for his own kid. And yeah, he sucks. He sucks. But, um, but Steve Martin and, um, his family, you know, it, it, it's the biggest family and of, of that generation. And um, it there's a lot going on. And you can really tell that, like, Steve Martin is really kind of the glue in this movie. He mm-hmm. is the lead in this movie. And there's so many great, wonderful things that he's that he brings to this movie. His sense of humor is like if amazing. I had amazing. It's amazing. If I had to explain who is like my favorite comedian in movies it's probably Steve Martin because he has like the best combination of like zaniness and just like out there kind of things that he does but also like very grounded yes Yes. like it's just yes it fits me like I just I love him so much he's so freaking funny well all I was gonna say is um that a lot of the stuff that Steve Martin's character Gil goes through um, they do a really good job of how real it is I mean struggling to balance his work life and his home life and raising his kids and trying to make make them happy mm-hmm. and doing his best um, coaching Little in, League you know he's coaching Little League he's doing you know doing whatever he can um and he he plays the struggles really well like the steve martin playing i mean the way he reacts to certain things happening in the movie while they might not ever be the right reaction seem like a very real reaction that someone would have it's It's very very authentic and and we learn i mean like he learns throughout the course of the movie like his kid is on the spectrum of some kind you know his yeah his kid they don't call it that because i don't think that that had been really as established as it is now but um but yeah yeah um but I mean, just the fact that, like, you know, yes, he like went out of his way to coach little league because he knew that would make his son the most comfortable. You know, he they try to have this amazing birthday party, but like the main um, entertainer that they br- were going to bring on can't show up, so he decides he's going to play the cowboy. He's going to be Cowboy Gill, and I love the birthday party scene so much. Like, That's my favorite scene. The That's birthday party scene. scene is just incredible. I mean, I love. I think that. That scene that you had we had talked about before with Keanu Reeves and um, oh in the kitchen Weist ha- in the kitchen having that moment yeah. is like a very it's important go- it's a very nice scene yeah but what Gil does for his kids' birthday party is kind of so amazing yeah. from and the whole birthday party yep. really from like the pinata all the way <laughs> to when he rides off and then. When you see the kid, like, when he's putting the kids to bed and they're, like, and he's so happy for, like, he's so excited and he's, like, when that scene ends and he says 
like to and Kevin says to him, Dad, when I grow up, can I work where you work so we can see each other every day? Yeah. And like Gil has no response. Yep. He just is like tonight. I love you. He's like he's he's like I can't. I don't know what to say. Yeah. That I've had those moments. Yeah. You know, maybe not him. My son specifically saying that to me, but like saying things to you to where you're just like. I'm doing my job well. Yeah. Look at this wonderful kid. He even he loves me so much. And and my wife has had similar moments yeah. to where like she she comes up to me and says like I don't know what to do. I just want I just want to squeeze him so tight because I love him so much. And those are those moments yeah. that you're just like this is great. And at that moment with between Kevin and Gil, yeah. like you can tell he's just like. I'm going to lose it. I got to get out of yeah. here. <laughs> well, I mean, and then such a great moment. And then later in the movie, after you see all the struggles that Kevin specifically has when he finally catches the ball and like yeah. wins the game. And then, you know, Steve Martin gets to like run around and be so excited. Yeah. And, 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 and before that, him having where his dad has asked him, like Jason Robards has asked him, how can I deal with this problem with my kid? Because I know you are a good, a good dad and you yeah. think I'm not a good dad. I mean, it yeah. just, it's so raw and it just, <sighs> but, you know, I also love the scene towards the end when Gil, I think it's before Kevin catches the baseball when he has the conversation with Mary Steenburgen and then the grandma pops in. About That's after. It's after the baseball okay. scene. Because that whole scene starts with him going, man, what if he dropped the ball? That's right. And then she's you like, know, but he didn't. Like, but he didn't. And But what if he did? But, but he, he didn't. didn't. What if he did? Yeah. And, <laughs> and then he's the whole like merry-go-round so... versus roller coaster. And, and yeah. even though I don't have children, I mean... I understand that anxiety. Like I can completely get where he's coming from and the fear he has of doing something that could completely screw up and break a kid, even though I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I mean, that's what he's worried about that. He's so worried about what if I do something that just permanently damages my children and how can I I ever live with myself for doing that? And just, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Not that this movie or any movie really should be a manual for parenting. (laughs) But I think that we can, you know, that whole art imitates life, life imitates art, life imitates art argument. I will say this. I had seen this movie many times Mm -hmm. and I've luckily had good um, examples of good parenting mm-hmm. by from my parents and then other parents that I've known. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Steve Martin in this movie that really kind of like turned a light bulb on for me as a parent. Yeah. And and it's not necessarily like I wanted parent like Steve Martin in this movie, but even the things he does wrong, you are good things to kind of note. Yeah. Like the idea, like that whole scene with the merry-go-round versus the roller coaster. Like there's times when you're parenting where you're like, oh, my God, I got to get I got to buckle down and like get serious about 
X, Y, and Z because I don't want my kid to end up on the roof going, you made me play second base, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and like shooting out his college, you know. But at the same time, you have to realize that they're kids and you can't control every aspect of their life. So you sometimes, even though I don't really, I get sick on roller coasters, you kind of have to yeah. just ride the roller coaster yeah. and let shit happen the because you can't. Roller coaster. It's the metaphorical roller coaster, and I think that you see that a lot in like, and and then and then the other scene that happens right after it's this is when they, when they go to the school play, yeah. and I and even it said all this goes to, to my hell wife in a handbasket, <laughs> right? And I said this to my wife when we were watching it. Gil kind of starts having an epiphany at this and he starts like pretend like yeah. they, they shoot it like he's on a roller yeah, coaster. The sound and effects he's just like, of the roller coaster. you know, and they even move the camera around mm-hmm. like it's going up and down and everything. But right before he starts feeling that way, a parent says to him, he's ruining the play. Yeah, and like they're out. ruining it. And it makes in. And, and one thing that's that's so hard when you're a parent is judging how if you're doing a good job or not or if you're doing the right thing and all of that is based off of the reflection of other parents yeah yeah and and that is one of the hardest things to deal with because i bet none of us really know if we're doing it totally right because every kid is different every situation is different right so you can't sit there and say that, oh, my kid is ruining the play because you don't know what that kid goes through and you don't know what your life is like. And you just have to sit back and be like, I really don't give a shit. Yeah. And and sometimes there's that. Battles, and, then some, people. and then there's sometimes where people are the opposite way where they should be giving a shit and they don't. And you and you do your thing your way yeah. and you can't place judgment because you don't know what those people are going through or what their lives are like. Yeah. And that, so those, again, I'm not saying this movie should be a manual for parenting, but there's a lot of things in this movie that are very relatable. And I think that's one of the things that I like about this movie that makes this movie so popular, that makes a television show get spun off on it and all this other kind of stuff is it deals with a very a lot of very real it's situations very in very realistic ways. Yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, Steve Martin is just a genius. He's so great. He's phenomenal. I, I was reading that um, that between Ron Howard and the two screenwriters, between the three of them, they have fifteen children. So, oh my god! So it makes sense that they had so many good exa- like real life examples to draw from in in crafting this movie Mm. and making it really feel very genuine. I mean, I don't know anyone who's seen this movie that doesn't like it. I mean, I think it's just... No. It's just, you know, this is a movie... I would rewatch this movie over and over again. Like, I I hadn't seen it in a really long time, but I just was so happy when I watched it, and it it just made me laugh so much, and it just... It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think Gil is my favorite character. Steve Martin is my favorite character, and and it it would be hard to not pick the birthday party scene as the as like the best scene, just because it really kind of captures. It's really centered in the middle. It's like right in the heart of the movie, and yeah, it's just so good. I really I think Gil's my favorite character, with Helen being a close yes, second. Agreed. Um, um, not just because she 
reminds us of mom, but also because, um, not that Helen reminds us of mom, but Diane Weist reminds us of mom a little bit. But, um, I just think that she, her, her storyline is probably the, um, most in depth next to Gil's. Yeah. And so you see her a lot and you really see how she's trying her best. And I think that that is very, should be well noted. And and what I love about the wrap up of this movie, like the very end of this movie, you've seen a movie where potentially there's lots of reasons to not want to dive into parenthood. Potentially here's a lot of examples of how it can go wrong, how it can be a struggle, why it's a challenge. And how does the movie end? Everyone's had a new kid or has a new kid on the way. Like there's, you know, uh, Helen's Helen's in a, in the delivery room having a baby. Her daughter has had a child. Gil and Karen had have their kid. Um, Susan's pregnant. Um, was there another kid on the way? I mean, it just seems like there are babies. Todd and Todd and Julie had their. Yeah, kid I mean, there were just and, so it was almost like regardless of the of the entire movie you'd seen before that was potentially a cautionary tale. Like, do you really want to have kids? Well, they all decide to have more. So yeah. <laughs> I just think it's you know. I mean, because in the end, it's like the love of family ultimately wins out and just so good. Well, it was nice kind of watching these and pairing these up. And um, I think that like like I like we had said before, like there's some similarities. But I think that one thing that really stands out is, you know, Royal Tenenbaums, besides the filming style which is different. Yeah. You have a family of very eccentric kind of genius characters yeah. that all have, and like only one of them has kids. You know, you only have the one with the two kids. Yeah. Whereas this movie is a lot more authentic as you had put yeah. it, um, as far as raising a family and the trials and tribulations of that. Yeah. And, um, both, you know, I think good good Father's Day picks. Yeah, I think good Father's I Day think picks. very you know they'll they'll make you think about family for sure and uh, yeah and two very different kinds of dads featured in these <sighs> kind of in these movies all sorts well, of different dads really in parenthood all sorts of different dads because you've got the second the next generation mm-hmm. too of of dads and um, and so you get to see a lot of different angles on you know yeah. from both movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, Matt. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. (laughs) And happy Father's Day to all of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's it's another day. It's (laughs) another day. Just another Sunday in June that moves. Why can't it be the same day? That just drives me crazy. Just so everyone knows, and this is totally just us being dumb because of covid probably and not being able to keep our days straight we had like been planning to try and like do a father's day and we all had it the wrong weekend we didn't know what weekend it was because we can't look at a calendar and everything's just bizarre yeah and this whole kind of covid situation is hard to keep track of time together i mean it is it is bizarre yeah so i hope all the dads out there and if you're a new dad losing sleep during all of this your life must be hard. So if 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 you ever run across this episode and you've gotten to this point listening and you haven't fallen asleep yet, good job. Happy Father's Day. Good job. Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I know that some we've gotten some new listeners. We've gotten we have old you know 
listeners from the very beginning, and I want to thank you all for taking the time to check us out. I know it's a lot harder. People's podcast listening time has just, like, obliterated with people yeah. not in cars or in offices with headphones on trying to avoid other people. co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we really appreciate everyone taking the time to listen and um feel free to con- you know send us emails or write us or comment you know whatever you want we we like the banter maybe you'll yep. recommend something or bring up something that we hadn't thought about so feel free to contact us on the social medias and go to our website and we've got our email on there and everything so we'd love to hear from hit you. us up <laughs> so my name is matthew my name is nancy and this has been fighting over the vcr thank, thank you, you for very listening. much